The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Called Propecia. It says it's a hair growth pill, right? But if you look into it, like it comes with a warning about a thousand side effects on this shit. Right? Like, like basically, it's a side effect pill. One of the side effects happens to be it grows hair, right? Stand-up comedian and, full disclosure, good friend Rick Curry. Rick is the headliner of a Canada Day nighttime show at the Grove Theatre. That is an outdoor theatre. Well, the Grove's Nicole Mitchell will tell us why she believes a typically indoor art form does work on their outdoor stage. Have you gotten it yet? You know what we mean by it, right? The it that has consumed so much these past two years. So many have gotten it. We'll hear from our local medical health expert, about how to proceed if you do join those growing ranks. But first, we talk unwanted cats in Kawartha Lakes, and not just any kinds of cats, and not just finding any kind of adoptive home for them. My name is Denny Gringell, and this is the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, the Summer Edition. Not all cats are created equal. Any cat owner will tell you that, just ask them. And not all cats are meant to be pets or house cats either. Some cats are better suited or were born into conditions that make them ideal barn cats or working cats. And there is no shortage of such cats in Kawartha Lakes. Well, a local group aims to find homes or barns for these very specific kinds of unwanted cats. But before finding barn-owning adoptees for these cats, the group ensures that the cats are spayed or neutered, chipped and vaccinated, all courtesy of a program of the Toronto Humane Society. Janice Jones-Skinner is a founding member of the Humane Society of Kawartha Lakes. She is also the chairperson of the Kawartha Lakes Community Cat Trap Neuter Return and Manage Committee. Janice joins me on the program now. Janice, thanks for uh, thanks for being with us. Hello, Denise very pleased to uh, to be here with you. I have some familiarity with what barn cats are like, but can you tell me how they differ from other cats that I may, you know, be seeking to adopt? Well, uh, there are probably, as, as most of our community know, um, or they may not know, thousands of, of stray and feral cats that, uh, that exist within our community. And of course, uh, a big part of Kawartha Lakes a majority of Kawartha Lakes is rural. And um, so a cat that is born uh, on a farm, say, as a kitten, tends to be more, well, tends to be wild in nature. Um, They may be being fed by the farm farm owner uh, and, and looked after to a certain degree, but most of these cats are are just accepted as being uh, working cats on the farm to catch rodents. They are usually not approachable. They're not not able to be socialized as as a domestic cat you might want to have uh, in your home. And if they're healthy enough, then they can be reintroduced to another type of farm environment or perhaps working in a uh, a factory, um, you know, as a, a workshop or that kind of thing, but they may not necessarily be 
very friendly. Is it typically uh, farmers who say, I've got a load of kittens here. I don't want them. I've already got a working cat. Here you go. Or, or is it strays that people are finding? Uh, both. It's both. And uh, so the Humane Society will have, uh, will be the receiver of, uh, say, somebody who does manage to trap one may just bring it in and say, look, you know, I, uh, this cat's uh, roaming around. I, I don't want any more kittens or, or you know, so can you do something with it, mm -hmm. right? I'm just wondering how much, how much I should, of a commitment I should expect in having a cat that lives in the barn make sure that the animal transitions properly like you can't just take the cat and okay here's your home you go go about you know catching rodents and so on they have to know that this is now their new their new home so they're confined for a period of time say within the barn uh so they cannot get out easily uh then they are fed and watered there and uh, and looked after, but kept in that confined area for a period of time. And then they're let out uh, gradually to, to see how, once they become accustomed that this is where they get fed, they get watered, uh, then they will probably, they will adjust, uh, especially if they have already come from an environment like that, but you can't take them from one, one farm and then go and put them in another right away. But then after that, um, as long as they have a warm place to get into uh, through the winter times, clean straw or, you know, usually horse barns are really good because they're usually, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a nice environment where, you know, there's people around, they get used to being fed, being, you know, the, the, the movement of the animals and so on. As long as there's a nice, uh, nice place for them to, particularly in the winter. And we have gals that are working doing the trapping uh, on on farms and, and taking these animals, getting them vetted. They come back uh, to either the, the trappers' homes where they have space set up or another gal who has uh, a heated garage, particularly in the winter, to hold them for a couple of days while they recover from their surgery. And then... Uh, homes are then found you know barn homes we don't charge for that they will go out to check your barn to see is this uh, a good good place uh, do you have a spot that you can help transition these these animals but generally we we do not charge uh, for the animals um, we might ask for a donation uh, but uh, generally what we ask is that you just you look after the cat <laughs> and uh, and provide it with a decent home. Hey, I'm going to ask you this, and, and I'm uh, I'm laying out my cards on the table here, and my wife often kids me about this, that I, I can be um, somewhat of a softie. Uh, so mm -hmm. let's say I have that cat in the barn. Uh, I won't deny that I may have that compulsion to uh, to, to pick them up and pet them and, and mm -hmm. hold them and put them back in the barn. Is that, I'm just wondering about that relationship between the owner and the barn cat, how, how distant that should be. It can be whatever you, you want it to be. I think it, you, you, uh, a lot of people who get uh, these types of cats um, do uh, have a relationship. They may never be cuddly cats, but they may even eventually let you pet them. And that has been the case with people who have, uh, say they are already managing a colony of feral cats, and uh, some of them do eventually come around. It takes a slow approach 
to uh, getting used to being touched. I mean, just, uh, you know, very, very slowly. It's not going to make them any less of a, a good working cat. Every cat is different. They all have different personalities. Some of them can be more socialized. Janice Jones Skinner is the chairperson of the Kortha Lakes Community Cats Trap Neuter Return and Manage Committee. If you're thinking of adopting a barn cat for your, well, your barn or, or your workshop, the organization is asking for a $50 per cat donation to cover some of its costs. The number to call is 705-731-7454. My name is Riley Ray from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kortha Lakes. First, the good news. If you do contract COVID-19, specifically the Omicron variant, and if you are vaccinated, the odds are extremely good that you will prevail. Now, that's especially good because, and this is the not-so-good part, Despite the hospital numbers going down, more people are still contracting it. And remember, most of those last masking restrictions were also recently lifted. So it's kind of hard not to wonder, okay, so what happens if it reaches me? What's the plan? Should I get infected? Have the rules changed or at least evolved? Dr. Natalie Bocking is the Chief Medical Officer of Health for Halliburton Kortha Pine Ridge. She joins me now. Hello, Dr. Bocking. Good morning. Just how how many people, roughly in percentages, would you say the local population has has contracted Omicron based on on the data that you people are collecting? Oh, that's a, a tricky question. We stopped really getting accurate counts of actual numbers of cases. Uh, lab-based PCR tests are the only ones that are reported to the health unit. If people take rapid antigen tests at home, those are not reportable to the health unit. There's certainly estimates uh, based on uh, other jurisdictions, and uh, it's uh, you know it's tricky to tell specifically for our jurisdiction. I would say that right now we were we're closer to the tail end of this sixth wave, uh, so it's. Well, if, if you develop symptoms, still quite possible uh, and a good chance that it could be COVID. Uh, it's, I would say it's less likely than it was a couple of weeks ago. And we also know that there's lots of other respiratory viruses that have started to circulate now that those broader public health measures have lifted. Mm-hmm. Which I guess muddies the water a little bit. Is that runny nose I have this or is it that? Uh, I am curious, though. Exactly. I, I am curious, though, if, if we suspect we are positive, what is the first thing we should do. I, I know you mentioned that, you know, the rapid, you're not required to contact a health unit if, if you test positive with a rapid test, but is that something you still encourage so that you can record it just to get numbers or, or should we even bother? No, if it's a rapid test at home, uh, regardless of whether or not you have symptoms, you don't need to report it to the health unit. We're not keeping uh, records of those. Uh, I think what's important for us is that you're aware of the steps that you need to take at home and that you follow those recommendations. Okay, well, let's talk about those steps at home. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, do, do we have to contact or close contacts of, of recent days, for instance? In other words, I, I go through that rapid test. I see that ominous little bar go up, should the first thing I do contact everybody I've been in contact with in the previous days to let them know? Well, I think out of out of respect for, for your family, for your friends, uh, those people that you have been in close contact with uh, likely want to know. 
so that they can take appropriate precautions. I think we can't assume that uh, other people might be at the same level as ri of risk uh, as we are as individuals. Uh, so I would recommend that you still contact your close contacts. So anyone that you've spent more than 15 minutes with uh, at less than two meters apart, especially indoors, so indoors higher risk than outdoors. How many rapid tests should we take and how spread apart to determine a positive diagnosis? And, and I should have prefaced that by saying I, I have a lot of people in my immediate circle, as I'm sure you do who felt the symptoms, tested negative, tested negative, and then ultimately uh, decided to take that third or fourth test and went, oh, I guess I am positive. So is there sort of a formula for how many you should take just to be really sure? You know what? There's not an absolute formula. Uh, the current recommendations from the province are that if you have symptoms, consistent with COVID, in particular fever, cough, uh, loss of smell, change in taste, uh, that you stay home first and foremost, and then at least 24, but probably closer to 48 to 72 hours would be better, you can take another rapid antigen test. And if that rapid antigen test is negative, your fever's all gone, your symptoms have been improving for 24 hours, then under the current guidance, you can stop isolating. If you test positive, or if you still have symptoms, uh, the guidance for how long to isolate depends on a couple of things. It depends on your vaccination status, depends on your age, and depends on whether or not you have any medical conditions that uh, result in uh, immune compromised conditions. So let's say you, you test positive, uh, and for, for some reason you've done the test, maybe you were a, a, a close contact, uh, you don't have any symptoms, that, that test positive of the rapid antigen test uh, is saying that you have COVID. And so at a minimum, uh, you need to be isolating for five days. So let's say you are considered to be fully vaccinated according to the provincial definition, or you're under 12 years of age. The guidance is isolation for five days. After five days, if you still have symptoms, you should still be isolating. Uh, if you still have a fever. So if you have a mild cough and your symptoms have been getting much better, then, then that's a different story. But if you're still feverish, if you're still feeling really sick, you need to continue isolating. If you are feeling better after those first five days, uh, there's still measures that we want you to take uh, for the next five days, so for a total of 10 days. Uh, so if you're well, we still want you to wear a mask. We want you to avoid either individuals or settings that have individuals that are going to have uh, immune compromising conditions. So those highest risk settings like long-term care homes, hospitals, uh, that sort of thing. I do want to be clear here though. So hypothetically, I, I'm symptom free. I'm feeling better. My rapid test is still showing a positive. Uh, if I understood this correctly, I could wear a mask, go in, do my groceries, practice social distancing, and just play it safe by not going into areas where there may be immunocompromised people. Is that correct? As long as you've done your initial core isolation period, which is either five days or 10 days, you don't need to, to retest with a rapid antigen test, uh, and you can follow the guidance uh, to take those extra precautions, but not be in isolation. Thank you for this, Dr. Bocking. 
Oh, you're very welcome. I know it's all uh, clear as mud. <laughs> well, hopefully getting clearer. Can you leave us with any any glimmer of hope? I think we are, uh, you know, fingers crossed, looking at a couple of months with much lower COVID-19 activity. We know as people head outside for the summer months, uh, much less, I guess, risk of Omicron spreading. We definitely are planning at this point in time for increased COVID activity in the fall, but let's take advantage of the the summer months right now and uh, get outside and, and stay healthy and low. Dr. Natalie Vocking is the Chief Medical Officer of Health for Halliburton Kawartha Pine Ridge. The Advocate Podcast is made possible because of Ward's Lawyers, our official and exclusive sponsor since day one, some 57 episodes ago. Carissa Ward and her team of lawyers can meet any of your legal needs. You can find out more by visiting wardlegal.ca. If you have a suggestion or a story idea for our program, please reach out to us on our Facebook page or on Instagram or via lindsayadvocate.ca. We are part of the Advocate Online and the Advocate Magazine and 100% local media. The June Advocate is all about 50. That's because it is our 50th consecutive edition. You'll find 50 ideas to make our community better and 50 historical facts about Kawartha Lakes. You'll find an incredible photo portrait series by acclaimed photographer Mike Palmer. Grab your copy of the newly designed June Advocate at the Pharma Choice in Pontypool and at the Norland Library. Hey, here's something else you'll find in the June issue of The Advocate magazine, a piece I wrote about the Grove Theatre, specifically how the outdoor stage measures up hosting a professional stand-up comedy show. Now, full disclosure, I will be the comic MC of the Grove's Comedy Night on Canada Day show on July 1st. Now, this was a gig I was a bit hesitant to take, I admit. Stand-up comedy on an outdoor stage, that is not typically a good partnership. We stand-ups thrive on four walls and a ceiling. But this new amphitheater in Fenland did host a few stand-ups last year in its inaugural season, and I, I was skeptical when I attended one of these shows. But you know what? It it worked, much to my surprise. Nicole Mitchell is the Grove Theatre's general manager. She told me why, even to her surprise somewhat, that its outdoor stage is friendly to stand-ups. As open as the space is, it still is rather enclosed. You go in... And you're like, oh, am, I'm still in town, you know, just because the, the trees are filled in and you can't really see through. So you feel like you're still in a private, intimate space, even though you're outdoors in a very open amphitheater. We were a bit nervous because like, yes, when you go into a comedy club, it is often in a basement and, you know, the front row is like at the stage they need that audience to play with. And I think even more than theater, because even in theater, you kind of play to the first few rows and then it's just so dark that you can't see the balcony at a theater. That knowledge, knowing that, okay, stand-ups are used to having the audience really close to them. How did you reconcile that in your head to go, I think this, is, regardless <laughs> of what I've just said, I think this is going to work. Like I said, I think it's the intimacy of the theater. But the audience goes in and they already have a sense of intimacy. They are part of what is going on on stage versus a stage that is so high 
because you may have a stage where where the front row is also looking up, but ours is is level with the front row. So it almost like the artists are then like really sucked into those those first few rows because they're level with them. Even last year we we were only at half capacity and there was space between chairs, but it's still like from from an artist perspective on stage, it still felt full. What did you observe like throughout the show? What did you notice that maybe you know, you were pleasantly surprised, something you didn't expect, maybe. We were just pleased that it that it worked. Like, each night was was just a different atmosphere. Each one just had a different feeling to it. It was just very, like, hey, I'm heading, I'm heading outdoors, I'm going to have a beer, and I'm going to have a relaxing evening. And then I think especially because of COVID, everybody has been, like, <laughs> cooped up and miserable. <laughs> And it was just such a like wonderful release that people could go and you know feel somewhat safe outdoors, have a beer, have a laugh. So in a sense, the pandemic almost made this kind of show more, this kind of stand-up show more palatable. I don't know palatable. I think maybe just desirable. What can you tell me about your audience, especially on those nights that could make a stand-up show really work? Kawartha audiences are are interesting and for these shows especially we got a lot more local um and so the age demographic of the Kawarthas is i think i think it's like 61 is the average age these one night shows we found last year that it was just they were such great pieces for the locals because they could come back multiple times versus like our main stage show where you know they may come once hopefully twice but then that's about that's about it. So right. so that one really needs tourism to fill those seats. But the one night shows are meant are meant for the locals. I think also the type of comedians that we bring in were also well aware mm -hmm. of the audience. So what advice would you offer uh, a stand up? And by a stand up, I mean me playing <laughs> playing your kind of venue for the first time. I think it would be helpful to know the area because I think people always love a personalized set. That works in my favor, given that I've been yeah, here. Right? Yeah, right? <laughs> like, there's nothing worse than someone going to Fenland Falls and saying, Hello, Ottawa! Nicole Mitchell is the general manager of the Grove Theatre in Fenland Falls. It plays host to Comedy Night on Canada Day on July 1st. That show features professional stand-ups Jim McNally, as well as some guy who also happens to be a podcast host here in Kawartha Lakes, as well as veteran stand-up and longtime writer with the Rick Mercer Report, Rick Curry. Here's a sampling from the Ottawa-based comedian CD, Dickory Doc. Oh, thank you. Yeah, nice to be here. I guess Evan was telling you I'm from Ottawa. Uh, I don't know if uh, anybody's been up, but you got to come. It's uh, it's a party town, folks. It's, uh, it's it's like Canada's Las Vegas. We we party sometimes till 9, 10 p.m. So if you wanna if you wanna come up sometime, I I've never been to Las Vegas, but I think it must be like that. I think I, I, I was in Montreal last week, and oh, gee, I'm, like I'm on edge the whole time I'm in Montreal. Like I'm parent, I'm nervous that I'm gonna get caught up in one of these just for laughs tapings, these gags, you know, like, you know, I'm walking down the street and some nun asked me to watch her tawawa while she, she went into a porta potty, right? 
But, oh, and here's another tip, too, if you're going to go north, right? Like, if you, if you have a dog that's like a city dog or even a suburban dog, right, don't bring them up into the wilderness. Like my dog, he spent an hour barking at his own echo. <laughs> Does that sound a little off to you? <laughs> He's just like, sitting out there on a rock, right? It's just... on that cliff. <laughs> I'm trying to talk him down. <laughs> Dumb dog. <laughs> love, the, love the East Coast, eh? Beautiful out there. I don't know if y'all, if you've been out there, right? Got the screeched in. Right? You know how that goes, right? Like you, like you, you, you say a little poem, right? Then you drink some screech, and then you, you're supposed to kiss a codfish. Right, that's this is the tradition that's been going on for a hundred years, right? But true story, we're in a bar in Newfoundland. The bartender says, "Well, we don't have the cod. We don't do that anymore since the cod have gone away. But it's no problem. Now you kiss a puffin's arse. He pulls out like a stuffed puffin. Right? Like you can't change shit up in the middle of things like that. Right? Like, like a, I came here to kiss a fish. I'm not kissing your puffin's arse." Right? Like, 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 what does this guy do one day? Maybe he loses the puffin. <laughs> then what? <laughs> well, then just get over here and lick me armpit then, bye. Like, <laughs> you can't just make things up. Right? <laughs> the, the whole concept of being initiated is weird too, right? Initiating tourists, right? Do people don't do that elsewhere either. You, you never hear, like, welcome to Toronto. And now, have a steam whistle out of a Blue Jays jockstrap. There you go. <laughs> like, my wife and I, I've been together 20 years, she and I, right? Like, we gotta... Well, thank you. <laughs> she won't let me go. <laughs> no, just, that, was, that was a terrible thing to say. No, I, I try to keep things fresh, right? Like, I think the one thing that our marriage really needs uh, next is a, uh, a mirror on the bedroom ceiling. Right, anybody, anybody got one of those? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down to Home Depot. I'm gonna get an eight foot by eight foot mirror and a, a roll of Gorilla Tape, right? And I'm gonna <laughs> stick it up there over the bed, right? I'm gonna wait for the right moment. I'm gonna use it properly, right? I'm gonna roll over in the middle of the night sometime and give her a little nudge, you know, and just say, hey, look, honey. <laughs> See, that's us. <laughs> I told you we're taking up three quarters of the damn bed here. <laughs> Just a little proof, that's all I need. You know? Anyways, you guys have been a great bunch. Thanks a lot. Good friend and a really great stand-up comic, that is Rick Curry, who I will join along with our mutual good pal, Jim McNally, as part of the Grove Theatre's Comedy Night on Canada Day on July 1st. Tickets and information at grovetheatre.ca. Our show is brought to you by Ward's Lawyers. No matter what your legal need, Ward's Lawyers, they have you covered. Find out what Carissa Ward and her team can do for you at wardlegal.ca. 
If you like our show, please consider subscribing to us and rate us. That will help others discover us. Big shout out to Gerald Van Halteren for creating our show theme and the music you hear between the segments. Those nice little musical bridges. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Corth Lakes, is written, produced, and hosted by me, Denny Grignell. Hey, summer's almost here. You should still play it safe, though. But isn't it great to know we're starting to see some light? Be nice, be kind, be grateful. We are back in two weeks. <laughs>